uh, to open up your Bibles to Matthew 28, very end of Matthew's Gospel, verses 16 through 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the text is printed for you in the bulletin so you can follow along there. Let's uh, give our attention again to God's Word. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our God, again, as we come to your word, we need and want to come as little children, not relying on ourselves, not coming in some proud, self-confident way to this word which has come from the very mouth of God. But Lord, we need your help in every way that we would come humbly, that we would be attentive, that we would stop listening to ourselves, that we would stop listening to other voices, as it were, with all kinds of messages, and that we would listen to you, that we would hear your voice. Lord Jesus, you have said that that is a work of your shepherding, your grace, that your sheep hear your voice. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak by your word and your spirit Rule over us, subdue us to yourself, continue in us the great work that you've begun, and take this word and drive it, drive it home deeply, profoundly to us individually and to us collectively as a church, that it really would more and more describe the kind of life that we are living together. And we pray in Christ and for His sake. Amen. We are preaching this brief series of sermons on the church because I I think you don't have to look far to see professing Christians with a functionally very low view of the church of Jesus Christ. Low views of church membership, casual, sporadic attendance, staying on the fringes, just sort of dropping out altogether. But these sort of things don't line up with God's view of His church, with what He says in His Word about the character and purpose of His church. And so we're hoping and praying that God will use these sermons, these reflections on His Word to help us to think biblically about the identity and purpose of the church. And today we're going to see that the Jesus who loves His church, as we saw from Ephesians 5, and the Jesus who is building His church, as we saw last week in 1 Peter 2, is also the Jesus who sends His church into the world with a great task, a great commission. 
You must never forget, we must never forget that the mission of Jesus Christ in this world is much greater than your life. The love of Jesus Christ is a personal love. It is attentive to your life individually. He is a shepherd who knows his sheep by name. Don't, let, don't think I'm saying that his mission in this world disregards you. Nothing could be farther from the truth. But we must remember that the mission of Jesus Christ in this world is much greater, much bigger, much larger than our individual lives. He has a greater mission for his church, a much larger task to which he has called us. Let's remember why the Father has sent his Son into the world. It's so that he would, by the power of his own death and resurrection, redeem and gather to himself a massive, innumerable host of people from around the globe, redeemed by the blood of Christ and brought into the house of his Father. And this means men and women and boys and girls from all nations, from all around the world. This is what God wants. He wants the love and the life and the salvation and the affection and the worship of a congregation so vast no man can number it. That's what God is doing. We see this so powerfully in Revelation chapter 7 as the Apostle John tells us what God showed him. After this, John tells us, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is what I'm talking about when I say that the mission of Jesus Christ in this world is far greater than your life or my life. It is cosmic in its scope. Jesus has purchased an innumerable multitude of people for himself. And you and I need to think from time to time, more often than we, than we do, that many of that multitude have already taken their place around the throne of the Lamb. They've already begun. They've already entered into the eternal worship that God has prepared for us. Heaven's getting louder and louder and louder with the praises of those purchased by the blood of Christ. Men and women and children from villages and cities and places obscure and great all around the world. But there are more voices yet to be added. Yes, God is sovereign, and He will see to it that all of His people are saved and brought into their eternal home. Yes, God will do it. God must do it. But make no mistake about it. The sovereign God has enlisted us, His church, 
in this great work of taking the gospel to all people and making disciples of all nations so that they will take their place with us around this throne, the throne of the Lamb, rejoicing in Him and His grace and His glory forever. This is why we exist. Redeemer has been very clear about this from, the, from day one, saying that our mission, the mission of the church, is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to equip them for a life of faithful, fruitful service in the kingdom of God. That's our task, winning people to Christ, building people up in Christ, making disciples. That is the church's task. That's our mission. And it's plain in the text that we've read today. And I want us to consider this very familiar text and consider that its message, its point to us is plain and simple. We have a great commission and we have a great Lord. So let's consider that together. The greatness first, the greatness of our commission. Verse 19, when we think of the Great Commission, most of us probably think of this command in verse 19, that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. And it's among the most familiar verses in the Bible for good reason. And it truly is a great commission, a monumental task. But I think while these are familiar words, it may be easy for us to lose sight of exactly what Jesus calls and sends us into the, into the world to do. So what is the task? Well, the task is made very clear. Make disciples. In our English translations, it looks like go is a command. It looks like an imperative. It's actually, in the Greek text, not an imperative. It's a participle. We'll talk about that later, but there are other participles in this thing that just simply describe the process of making disciples. There is only one imperative, only one command in this text, and it's this, make disciples. That's our task. Well, if that's our task, we need to know what a disciple is. What is it that we're trying to make? What is it that Jesus calls us to make? So, what is a disciple? Think of the two great commands that Jesus articulates earlier in His ministry. He sums all of the law and the prophets up in this way. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus says. In other words, this in very short compass is a summary of what it means to live under God's rule. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's a comprehensive change of life that Jesus has in view, which tells us that the Great Commission is intensive. It goes all the way down to the very core of who you are, to the deepest parts of who we are. It engages every inch of our lives, every part of our being, every moment of our existence. To be a disciple of Christ is to be a person who, with increasing measure, is submitting in every way to the total lordship of Jesus Christ. And this doesn't happen at once. You know this if you're a Christian. This doesn't happen at once. It happens over an entire lifetime. So our task is to make disciples, to give ourselves in such a way that we see people becoming more and more joyfully subdued to the lordship of Jesus. So the Great Commission's intensive. 
but it's also extensive because you notice that Jesus says we're told to make disciples of all nations. That's what God is doing through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit and through the faithful work of the church. God is gathering, as we read from Isaiah 49, He is gathering His people who He knows by name from all the parts of the world. He's gathering them together, drawing them into the church, building them up in Christ. And so this is why Jesus gives this task to the church, because this is what God is doing through the church. And it's not anything new. This didn't begin with the New Testament. This is what God has always been doing, even God's original design in the Garden of Eden with Adam was that He would work and keep the garden obediently so that this would become, the whole world would become a garden temple in which God gloriously lives in the midst of His people and has fellowship with them, and they uh, exercise dominion over His world in His name and for His glory. It's always been God's aim to make His place of dwelling with His people and to conform them uh, in His likeness, to live in His name for His glory wherever they go. Of course, when Adam sinned, he forfeited that calling, threw us down with him. But God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that we might be restored to our original purpose, that what Adam lost might be regained. You see this also in God's covenant with Abraham. What did God promise to Abraham? He promised Abraham that he would be a God to him and to his descendants, that he would give him many descendants, more than he could number, that he would give him a land to dwell in. The significance of that is that I will live with you, God is saying. You'll be mine. And that through him, through Abraham and his descendants, the nations of the earth will be blessed. God has the nations in view as he covenants with Abraham in Genesis 15. And here in Matthew 28, since Jesus is risen from the dead, he's saying those promises are still in effect. God is still blessing the nations through Abraham. I am, I am his seed. I am his descendant. It is in me that the nations of the world will be blessed. And he's sending you because I have come and I have been raised from the dead. Jesus has come to make God's gracious covenant promises flow as far as the curse is found, which is everywhere, bringing salvation to all kinds of people throughout the world wherever they call upon the name of Christ. And in the end, by the way, according to Revelation 21 and 22, Jesus is working through His church and by His power so that the whole New heavens and new earth will be this glorious garden city temple where the Lamb and His glory shine brightly. So when Jesus calls the church to make disciples of all nations, it's because this is what God has always been doing. And it's always been centered on Christ. Make disciples of all nations. It is a massive calling. It is a great Commission. I think if we're honest, most of us have felt overwhelmed by it. I know I have. Maybe even so overwhelmed that we don't know what to do or where to begin. But Jesus is showing his disciples and us through them that the church is Jesus' vehicle for carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, how are we to fulfill the task? 
If the task is clear, make disciples. How do we fulfill the task? Well, Jesus actually tells us very clearly. And we see it in these three words, three participles, sorry for the grammatical emphasis, that describe the process of making disciples of all nations, going, baptizing, teaching. This is how Jesus tells us how we are to fulfill the task of making disciples of all nations. Going, he says. Jesus expects the church to be going, to be reaching out, to be seeking, to be gathering. It's what God has done, after all, right? Sending His Son into this world to seek and to save the lost. And so He expects us to be going as well. Edmund Clowney put it this way, Jesus came to gather and to call gatherers. Disciples who would gather with Him, seeking the poor and helpless from city streets and country roads. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Missions is not an optional activity for Christ's disciples. If they are not gatherers, they are scatterers. Jesus commands His church to be going because He is the one who has been sent by the Father to seek and to save what is lost. Now, what does this mean for you? For some, this means being missionaries in a distant place. I would say at least every one of us should be willing to do that. It doesn't mean that God will call everyone to that kind of service, but to be a Christian disciple means to be saying to God regularly, God, my life is yours to spend as you please. That's how every Christian needs to think. That's how I need to think. That's how you need to think. I I don't know what this will mean for my life. I don't know what this will mean for your life. But in the present We need to be following Jesus in His gathering work, telling the people who we already know about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, calling upon them to believe in Him. If we really believe the gospel, if we really believe the gospel and we believe that what's at stake is eternal, everlasting, glorious life with God in the new heavens and the new earth, or everlasting misery and agony under the infinite wrath of God. And that the difference between the two destinies is faith or unbelief in Christ. And Jesus says you must be going and telling and making disciples. This is why Redeemer exists. This is why resurrection exists. This is why Tim Kay and the group from Redeemer are going to God willing, establish and see this church grow in Madison County. That's why RUF and RUF International exist. That's why we've sent people out from Redeemer around the world, either in word or deed, to minister the gospel to the nations. It's why I can't help but think of Charles Agonia and our brothers and sisters in Uganda as we've partnered with them. It's why men like him are pouring out their life 
for the ministry of the gospel. It's why we want to partner with them, to walk in this ministry with them. So going. How do we make disciples? Going. But Jesus says we also make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Now, this highlights that it is the church that this call is given to. Because it's in the church that you see word and sacrament, baptizing and teaching. Jesus is saying to his disciples first, who become his apostles, and then to particularly those of us who minister the word in the church, but then by reference to all of us, that as we're going and people respond to Jesus in faith and repentance, the church is to baptize into the name of the triune God. It's a sign of ownership. It's a naming ceremony. When a person is baptized, the name of God is placed upon his or her life. It's about his lordship over that person's life in every way. Baptism says you don't belong to yourself but to the Lord. And it also says you belong to your brothers and sisters in the church and that you're accountable to them and that you're mutually submitting to one another for the glory of Christ. So Jesus commands baptism. And He also commands teaching as part of our method for fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission has not been fulfilled when someone makes a profession of faith. It's just beginning. A friend of mine who recently wrote a book about the church put it this way, Jesus likens the church to a school in which His disciples are continuously taught from the Word of God. This is why the church is so crucial for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's Jesus' vehicle for carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. It takes years to make disciples. You're still underway. It takes years to make disciples, and it takes the order of the church and its ministers and its elders and its life together under the Word of God. Disciples are not self-made. Disciples are made through the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God as Jesus refines and sharpens and chisels and makes you more and more into His likeness. So, how do we make disciples? Going, baptizing, teaching. Teaching what? Jesus says, teaching them, those who profess faith in me, who respond to the gospel, to observe, to keep, to follow all that I have commanded you. Again, you see, it's extensive and it's intensive. Now, this means that if we're heavy on teaching but not committed to missions and evangelism, then we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. It also means if we are heavy on missions and evangelism but weak on teaching the Word of God, we're also not committed to the Great Commission. Jesus' plan includes both. We want to see people being saved and added to the church, and we also want to see all of you who are already professing Christians growing up, not staying the same, maturing in Christ. Men and women whose lives are full of the knowledge of God and love for God and obedience to God and fruit to God. This is the Great Commission. It really is great. It's intensive, it's extensive, it's universal, it's focused on seeing people gathered to Christ and built up in Christ. But this text not only shows us the greatness of our commission, it also shows us emphatically, even more emphatically, the greatness of our Lord. You see that in verses 18 through 20, 18 and 20. As I said earlier, when we think of the Great Commission, we usually think of the command in verse 19. But we should never think of verse 19 
without remembering and referring to what's said in verses 18 and 20. Because it's in these two verses that the greatness of Christ and the greatness of our comfort and encouragement in Him comes through so clearly. First of all, look at verse 18 where we see Jesus say that all authority has been given to Him, has been given to Him. Now, in one sense, He has always had authority because Jesus has always been fully God. But this is not the authority He's talking about. Jesus is talking here about an authority, notice, that has been, at this point, has been given to Him. He's talking about an authority that He now has, which He previously did not have. And what we have to conclude, based on the context of Matthew 28, is that Jesus is here talking about the sweeping, universal authority that has been given to Him by His Father because He now is risen from the dead. The importance of the resurrection of Christ when it comes to our task of making disciples cannot be overstated. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead means that a living, life-giving, death-defeating, world-renewing Savior is enthroned now, that He is reigning, that God, as promised, has put His King on Zion, His holy hill, that He's bringing everything under His feet so that Christ would be preeminent in everything. God's promise to do this has come to pass. Yes, we're awaiting its consummation on that last day, but it has begun. Christ's reign is now, and it is universal. Jesus has, He is saying to His disciples, all authority, and this is the basis for their task. Notice the therefore in verse 19. It's on the basis of this authority as the risen Jesus that He gives us our task. And so we need to appreciate the fact that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth over angels and men, over kings and empires, over demons and evil powers, over Satan, over death, over hell, over sin, over everything. That Jesus Christ is risen and exalted and reigning and conquering, that He's building His church, that He's extending the boundaries of His kingdom, that He never stops doing that until the last day. And it is none other than this Jesus who gives us this commission to make disciples of the nations. We cannot hear properly the commission of verse 19 without hearing the promise of the authority of Jesus in verse 18. This is the Christ who sends us. But that's not all because we see also in verse 20 that this powerful Christ is also a present Christ, one who promises to be with us forever throughout every single day of our existence, all the way until the end, or the completion of the age, as he says. And this word age in the New Testament is an important word. It's a word that means a particular period or phase in history. What Jesus is emphasizing, what he's saying is this, as long as there's still work to be done, as long as there are still disciples to be made, until the moment when I appear in glory and the harvesting work is done, I will be with you. I will be with you every moment and every step of the way. A truly wonderful promise. And he's kept his promise by pouring out his Holy Spirit on the church, which he did at Pentecost. 
And Pentecost means that Jesus is present, never absent, near to us, never far away. That as we go, He goes with us. That as you talk to your neighbor, your coworker, your children, someone far away, that as you talk to them about Christ, Jesus is there with you. That He gives you strength, that He is working through you, that He's not far from you. Jesus has sent us into the world to gather, but He's still gathering too. In fact, He's still seeking and saving, and He's doing that work through us even as we do what He has sent us to do. So even though we're weak, the cause of God is unstoppable. It's certain because the powerful Christ is present with us until the task is fully complete. So what does this mean for us? His authority, His presence. First, it means that we simply must do this. This is not an extracurricular assignment given to the spiritually elite. This is Jesus' command to His disciples. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has issued this decree to His church, His people. We must go. We must make disciples. To remain silent would be disobedience to our King, would it not? But it also means that as we go, we go as ambassadors. That means under authority. And that should mean that we are both humble and bold. Humble because we never speak down to someone, but face-to-face as someone who needs Christ just as we do. But it also means boldness and courage because the one who has commissioned us and who goes with us is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. As I was thinking about this text this week and working on it, it was especially, there's, there's a reality, something you need to understand about your pastors, is that as we preach the Word of God to you every week and we live in these texts, that God is working on us. That before we ever get up here, He's already been operating showing us our own sin, showing us His goodness and grace and glory and, and operating on us. And that's, that's happened to me this week again. I've had to confess my sin to God again, to reckon with what Jesus is saying here in this commission and this order that He's giving, this great calling that He gives to His church, which, of course, also serves to renew and, and rekindle my enthusiasm and zeal for the work of God in this world. And I, I suspect that just as God works that way in us each week, as we prepare, that He's working that way in many of you, even right now. And, and so I want to, as we bring this to a close, bring two exhortations to you from this text. Both of them come directly from this text. The first exhortation is this. In the Great Commission, Jesus calls us to be disciples. That's where we have to start. This is the most important question. This is, let me say it again, the most important question. There is nothing in your life more important than this. 
There's nothing in your life even approaching the importance of this question. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you following Him? Are you with Him? If you're not, you're against Him. Are you a disciple of Christ? Maybe some of you are not. But do you know why you're here this morning? Because Jesus has sent this church into this city and into your life at this moment in history to call you to come and follow Christ. That's why you're here this morning. And if you do that, he'll send you out too. And the new life that you receive from Christ will flow out from you to others who need it just as much as you do. That's the first question. Are you a disciple of Christ? I know that many of you are. Many of you, so many of you in this room this morning are disciples of Christ. You love him. You want to serve him. You are serving him. There's evidence of it in your life. And in this text, I think Jesus is also calling you to endure, to keep following, to keep growing, to keep pressing forward. Not ever to think that, yeah, I'm a disciple of Christ. That is never a static reality. And so this text is calling you and I, if we're going to make disciples, we must be living presently and forever as disciples. There's so many obstacles, right? There's so many temptations, so many distractions. It's easy to grow weary because you do meet affliction. You do meet suffering. You will pay a cost for following Christ. But don't lose heart, I think Jesus would say to us in this text, don't lose heart. Keep walking with me. Keep close to me in prayer. Keep close to me by studying the Word, all that I have taught you. Keep up your fellowship with one another, other believers. And as you do that, you can be sure the Lord will use you, that He'll keep using you to gather His people, make disciples of them. That's the first exhortation. The Great Commission calls us to be disciples. Every one of you, you're hearing that this morning. And that is the call of the sovereign Christ calling you to be disciples, to lay your life down, to lay down your, what you think is your authority, what you think are your rights, and to give yourself to Him, to bow before Him, to submit to Him. Here's the second exhortation that in the Great Commission, Jesus calls us to make disciples, to be disciples, to make disciples. What might this mean for you? Most of you aren't called to baptizing and teaching. I, I understand that. But you have a role to play in making disciples. There are, there are so many people, I'm, I'm saying this to every Christian in this room, there are so many people who need you who need the Word of God from your mouth, who need Christly, uh, Christ-like living in your conduct. There are so many people who need you, people in this room. So what can you do to make disciples? Pray. Be a faithful Christian who others can watch and imitate. Fill your mind and your heart with God's Word so that when you have the opportunity to speak wise, loving words to another person, you're ready. 
because you've been making yourself ready to make that person more a faithful disciple or to bring them into the kingdom of God. Think about this question. How could I contribute to someone else's growth and grace? Ask God to help you with that. That's how all of you as believers in Christ can be part of this work of making disciples. How can I be part of someone else hearing about Christ, coming to understand His gospel? How can I be part of someone who's already a Christian being built up in Christ? See yourself as an instrument of this great commission in the world. But this is a corporate calling as well. This is not just about God giving all of you an individual job to do as you go out. This is something given to us collectively as the church, as the local visible body of Christ. So what does this mean for us as a church? It means at least this. Missions is not something that happens over here. Oh, that's the missions committee. Missions is not a side project Missions is not an optional activity. It's not something for those who are into missions, whatever that means. And everywhere I've ever been, that's what it looks like to me, that missions is what some people do. I guess I'm just not really that into missions. The Great Commission will not let you think that way. That is contrary to who you are as as a believer in Christ. So let me give one example. In a few months, when we have a missions conference again, we don't have that because that's when we do missions. We do that because we believe that it's a way of fanning into flame regularly our, our love for the nations to be made disciples of Christ. Be there. Be there because either you feel already that passion or because you want God to kindle it because it's lacking. But missions is not a side project. It's not something for some Christians to do. We don't all have the same responsibilities. But Jesus has called all of us to be part of this great work. And our commitment to this calling as a church collectively, and we've got to always work on this, it needs to be evident in the way we pray, in our programs, in our budget, everything about us. What a great commission! making disciples of all nations so that there are more and more people who worship the living and true God. Don't you want that? When we read from Revelation 7, I hope you were sort of imagining how when it says they said with a loud voice, every time I read that I think, oh, I wonder what that sounds like. What will that sound like? Or when you read that the praise in heaven is like the roar of many rushing waters, you should think, oh, I wonder what that will sound like. God has enlisted us in the work of gathering all of those voices, all of those lives into that heavenly temple, singing praise to the Lamb. What a great commission, and what a great Savior. He is the risen Lord. He's been given all authority. He has us. He will be with us forever, even until the close of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great commission, what it tells us about you, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, 
a missionary God, a seeking, gathering, saving God, a God who never rests until He has brought the last of His sheep into the fold. A Savior who left heaven and all of His rightful properties as the Son of God in order to come and to seek and to save the lost. And so, Lord, we thank You for this great commission. We confess our weakness, our failure, our neglect, our unbelief, our comfort, or rather the idolatry of it, and ask that You would make us faithful more and more out of a sense of joy and zeal for Your glory, love for You, delight in You, that we would continue to follow our Savior in this great gathering work, and that all the while we would be aware of His resurrected identity, His, his power and authority and His presence with us, that we would not despair, that we would not lose heart, that when we fail, we would get up and continue moving toward Him and for Him and with Him. Lord, please do this in us and, and through all of Your church. We thank You that we're not alone in this work. It's not just Redeemer that You've called to this, but it's that you're, it's, it's Your church everywhere in the world. So unite us in the truth and in this great work, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. The elders who are helping with communion would come forward. Thank <clears throat> you.